In the days when God's people longed for peace, Isaiah declared, Comfort, O oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her turn, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. We who gather today also seek comfort and peace, yet we're unsatisfied with ideas of peace that tell us to keep quiet and go with the flow. We long for real peace, true peace, just peace. And together, we wait as people who yearn for peace that bears the fruit of community, equity, and flourishing for all. We light these candles, the signs of God's shocking hope and just peace. May they be beacons calling us to repent and to live the good news of Jesus Christ as we wait and watch and labor for the day when all people can gather together and worship and glorify God. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. Doing okay. Good to see you. Welcome, welcome. We're starting our second week in our teaching series, Back to the Future, kind of having a little bit of fun with, uh, you know, the good old movie, kind of going back to see what the promises of God were to the people of God, to jump to the future of how they've been fulfilled and what we're still waiting on. Advent is a time of waiting, a time of preparation, a time of longing, sort of naming these things that we are still longing for. So we're revisiting the prophet Isaiah, and the promises that have been made. All right, well, our, our, our scripture of passage this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 40, and I'm going to read that for us here this morning. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, this morning. Thanks be to God. There is a uh, famous line in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. You probably know it. It's toward the end of the movie. I know I referenced it last week too, but this is a different part. It's toward the end of the movie after Aunt Bethany says the blessing, after that horrible turkey dinner, after they unwrap her cat, 
after the dog chase through the house that destroys everything because the new tree brought in after, right? The new tree that was brought in after Uncle Lewis burned the other tree down, he brings in from the yard and has a squirrel in it. So this is after the dog chase through the house that just destroys everything. And Clark comes into the room, into the foyer there, and sees all of his family visitors packing up to leave. And he says, nobody's leaving. No one is walking out on this old-fashioned family Christmas. We are in this together. And his wife looks at him and says, Clark, I, I think it's best if everyone just goes home before things get any worse. And then the line, you know what I'm thinking of? He says, worse? How could they get any worse? Take a look around you, Ellen. We're at the threshold of hell. (laughs) That was the moment when Daryl said, everybody should come to church. Rachel's going to cuss from the pulpit. In the very opening of her teaching, I was like, it's not really a cuss word. It's he's using it in in the proper, you know, context. As a place, I'm not going to finish the rest. We're going to be the happiest, jolliest. No, I'm not going to finish the rest. You all can go home later and watch it after this holy time of worship. How could things get any worse? Take a look around you, Ellen. (laughs) We're at the threshold of hell. I wonder how many times in the story of Israel, or for the people of God, in their long story that we see recorded in the Hebrew Bible, they looked around at each other and thought, how could things get any worse? How could things get any worse? Last week, we looked at Isaiah 64. And when the prophet of God spoke right as they had returned after the exile to their home, to Jerusalem, and they were all in the middle section of Isaiah. Remember I said they're all pumped up. They're like, yeah, we're going to go home. This long exile is over, and here we go. And then in their reentry plan, as they went back home, things were not going as they expected. God still felt distant, even after this long exile. They were having war, like land disputes and, and tension from people who had settled there, from people who hadn't left. And now the folks that were coming back, they're like, no, 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 this was my family home. You can just kind of imagine that going back home, they had idolized about and dreamt about. It wasn't going as they had expected. And they cried out to the Lord, can you just do something about this? Rend the heavens and come down. You are feeling far from us and this is a mess crying out, do you hear us? Can you just do something about this? So you might be thinking, well, isn't that the moment they looked around and they thought, oh my goodness, are you serious? But we're backing up a little bit more. So back up, you know, we're in the beginning of the exile now in Isaiah chapter 40. And I know you're asking, well, Rachel, why didn't we just start here? Why aren't you going chronologically? This doesn't make sense. Well, my friends, we are following the traditional calendar of Advent that has to start with hope. And so that was, that's just what it is. I don't make the rules. <laughs> this week is peace, and the assigned text is Isaiah 40. So travel back with me, if you will, to the beginning of the exile. You remember, in 6th century BCE, Babylon has taken over. They've conquered Jerusalem. They've destroyed the temple. They've destroyed most of Jerusalem, disrupted the economy, and then deported people. 
exiled them. Not, you know, maybe not everybody, but the main leaders, all of the, you know, the, the main, a lot of the leaders and a lot of the citizens, a lot of the families deported them back to Babylon. So we find Israel here defeated, feeling uprooted, in exile. It's a complete disaster. And what is the prophetic word that comes at the beginning of this experience, of this complete and utter disaster for the people of God? The prophetic word is comfort. Comfort, oh my people. I find that kind of confusing. Like if the prophet Isaiah, like, you know, I'm there in exile, and he's like, comfort, comfort, there, there. Like it feels like that part in Isaiah where, where God says, peace, peace, where there is no peace. This isn't very comforting right now. And it's especially confusing because he goes on to say, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The prophet is speaking in past tense about the reality that they are currently experiencing, the separation of God because of their sins, this judgment that sort of led them into exile. And now the prophet at the beginning of this is saying, comfort, comfort, that's over now. You're like, what? But it's just beginning. Our warfare hasn't ended. Look around you. We are still right in the thick of it. And then verse 4 jumps to sort of this future tense about, God, about what God will do in the future. Every valley shall be... Well, that's not right. Can you go back, Megan? Don't look at that one. <laughs> okay, thanks. Okay, that's fine. Speaks of the future in verse 4. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low, uneven ground shall become level. Verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh will see it. Speaking of this future about what God will do, behold, the Lord comes with might. And so the prophet, through the God, God through the prophet is saying, so in light of this, in light of what God, what God will do, so pre- prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, because God is coming. The strong hand of the Lord will do these things. So go up to Zion, announce the good news, be a herald of good news, fear not. Hearing these words at the beginning of a time of disaster, destruction, exile, defeated. And they're saying, go up, go up Zion, announce the good news. Because the good news for the people of God in this moment is that they will experience God's mercy and forgiveness and redemption. And that is good news for a people who are suffering, for a people who are feeling crushed under life's heavy load. One scholar said that this passage sort of captures for us what it looks like to hope in God in the midst of a disaster. What it means to hope in God in the midst of disaster and uncertainty. We know disasters have a tendency to to make people sort of numb, afraid, feeling hopeless. Your life upended. Everything changed. You can't go back to the before. There's a before and there's an after, and it's that moment of disaster that defines it. Disasters have a tendency to shake up our faith. Ask us some questions. Why is this happening? Isaiah 40, for the people of God, as an example, and maybe for us too today, of how to hope in God in the midst of disaster. 
Because the prophetic word for hope and encouragement to the people here is that there is comfort in that moment when all feels lost, when everything's been turned upside down. There is comfort because of who our God is. Comfort, comfort, oh my people. This isn't just some there, there. Don't worry, don't pay attention. It's comfort because of verse 11 that our God is a God who will tend to his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The beautiful image of what we might be thinking, oh yes, God is the good shepherd. Or you might be recalling uh, images and phrases from Psalm 23, that even though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they will not fear, for God is with them. The rod and staff, they, they comfort them. God is our shepherd. God leads us and restores us. This is a mighty God who comes with a hand of might, but also a shepherd who gathers and carries and gently leads, leads his flock down the highway through the desert back home to Jerusalem. The comforting image. I was listening to a podcast this week. It's one of those parenting podcasts that helped me feel like maybe I have a clue what I'm doing, but I don't. None of us do. You know, you all didn't tell me that, by the way. Best kept secret of parenthood, nobody knows what they're doing. There you go. There's no manual. But there is Dr. Becky, who has a podcast called Good Inside. <laughs> and boy, does it make me feel like maybe I'm not screwing everything up. And she talks about how all kids are good inside. They just have lots of feelings. Because here's the fun thing. Kids are born with the full capacity to feel everything, but with none of the tools to regulate their emotions. It's very inconvenient. What's even more inconvenient is the way they learn to regulate their emotions is by marrying you. Great, good news. An inconvenient truth. The way these children, these little blobs of flesh and blood and life, all of your love, your heart beating outside of your body, the way that they learn how to regulate these big scary moments, these big emotions, is by matching you and how you respond to them in those moments. <laughs> you should listen to this episode, Matt. I'll, yeah. <laughs> we, we, he's like, I, you haven't told me. I listened to it this week, okay? <laughs> we are born with that full capacity to feel. And she says, all these kids are good inside, but they have big feelings, and it's a scary moment, and they can feel isolated and alone in these moments. And so even from an infant, what can you do? What can you do from infant all the way through the, year, all through the years, all through the, the ages and stages? She says, to adopt this mantra. As a parent, you say, something is bothering you. I believe you. I am here with you. All through the ages, even as an infant, she says, an infant, they're, they're uncomfortable, they're, it, they're, it's, they're cold, or they're wet, or they're hungry, or they just don't, they're scared, they don't smell you, I don't know. So what do you do? You, you can pick them up and soothe them and even say the mantra to a screaming, crying infant. Something is bothering you. I believe you. I am here with you. Isn't that what we all want in life, though, right? For someone to say, I believe you. <laughs> I'm validating your big emotion. It's okay to feel the way you are feeling. I am here. I have that image of our God like a shepherd, like a parent God who comes to us 
comforts us, says something's not right. I believe you. I am here with you. And that's the promise to the people of God in Isaiah, that they have a God who is with them. There is peace and the assurance of the, di- the divine present that is with them. That's their promise. The promise fulfilled to them that I will come and I will be with you. Comfort, comfort, oh my people, I am here. Today is the second Sunday of Advent and we lit the candle and it's the moment in these four weeks that we celebrate peace. It's been a hard one for me this week, I'm going to be pretty honest. The moment where it feels like when you look around, how could things get any worse? It's a moment where I feel like we look around and the world events and things going on in our own lives and we think, we at the threshold of hell here? Even reached out to a lot of my pastor friends that were feeling the same thing. How in the world can we come up with anything to say about peace that is true? Just peace? Does it exist? Even just scanning the headlines, which I'm really trying to make a habit of not doing, But scanning the headlines, there was another shooting in a college campus in Las Vegas. There was a shooting here on Thursday. They said teenagers, they were like 14. Kids. Kids. The war continues in Ukraine. Did you know that? Calling for more help and more support. And the war rages on in Gaza. With images released this week that were unsettling of hostages Homes destroyed, death toll climbing, many children. It feels like that moment where we're grasping for peace, peace, where there is no peace. Not even to mention things that might be going on in our own lives. Moments of disaster, where we feel like nothing is okay. Everything has been upended, facing down the uncertainty Advent is a time of waiting, and clearly today, a true thing that we can say is that we are still waiting for peace. We are still longing for wars to end, for suffering to cease, for death to be no more. So what in the world kind of peace are we talking about this morning? At Christmas, we as followers of Jesus Christ celebrate his birth and the advent of his kingdom, where Mary... If you remember in Luke 2, we call it the Magnificat. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, for you have done great things for me. My soul rejoices in God my Savior. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who has looked on the mighty has done great things, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him. Verse 51 of Luke chapter 2, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. It's that, those famous lines there in sort of 51 through 54. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts, brought down the mighty, lifted up the humble, and 
sent away the rich. This kind of picture of the kingdom of God that Mary glimpses and sees with these promises that the the angel offers her. The promises of what this child she will have will do. The kingdom that he will introduce that is backward and upside down and humbling. Sort of the beginning of a just, a peaceable kingdom marked by justice and mercy that is the kingdom of God. And yet we are still longing for this world to be fulfilled. Even now, as followers of Jesus Christ, as many people will read that passage this morning to celebrate peace and all that Christ will accomplish, we are still waiting for that to become a full reality. And so I think this morning we find ourselves in a similar position to the people of Israel in Isaiah chapter 40. find ourselves in that similar position where we look around and all we're seeing maybe is disaster or destruction. And the word of God says, the word of God that is true and sure, the prophet says, the word says, comfort, comfort, oh my people. Even on this side of Christmas, even on this side of the advent of Christ, I think we find ourselves in a similar position. One scholar said this, about this text. The implication in this text is that Judah can hope because God is present, but Judah is not yet at home in Zion. Hope, therefore, must live in the tension between the world that is present and the promise which is not yet, but is coming. Hope must live in the tension between the word that is true and present and the promise that is coming, but not yet. We find ourselves in that same tension this morning. The tension of hope. The tension of trying to find peace in a world that is still not right and just. We are not home yet in the kingdom of God. We are waiting. And yet we still can find peace. Not the peace that everything is right and good and settled and here we go but peace in the times of waiting, I think that looks like comfort. Comfort, comfort, oh, my people. We can find peace even in the in-between, even in the already but not yet. That was a phrase that my seminary professor said all the time in this overlap, in the already but not yet. We can find peace because God is with us. God is present. The promise was fulfilled to Israel as God promised to be with them like a shepherd, and the promise has also been fulfilled to us in the incarnation. God, who quite literally became one of us to to take on flesh, to enter into the disaster, to take on the messiness of humanity, and to be Emmanuel, God with us. Therefore, the peace that we are talking about this morning is not based on external factors. It is based on the trust we have in God and that his promises have been fulfilled and will continue to come true. Sounds a lot like hope. But that's why we hope. We don't hope like those, we don't mourn like those who have no hope. We don't live like those who have no hope. We can have peace even in the middle of our own disasters even in the rubble of our lives and the world that we're living in, because God is with us. And that gives us hope. A 
I saw an article this morning. One of my other pastor friends posted it, not this morning, this week. I saw this this week. It was an interview with a Lutheran pastor who serves a church in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is located in Palestine, in the West Bank. And he was interviewed by saying, this cannot be a regular Christmas. Because we are so keenly aware of how our neighbors are suffering. Our neighbors in Israel who lost loved ones. Our neighbors in Gaza who are still coming under fire. So this church is doing something different this year. They're not hanging up any Christmas decorations. They're not lighting any Advent candles. They're not lighting the candle this morning of peace and solidarity with their brothers and sisters in the Holy Land who are suffering. And instead, they've erected their sort of uh, manger scene in their church with only the baby, with only the manger, and it's surrounded by a pile of rubble. And he says this, the child under the rubble, Emmanuel, God with us, is our pain is with us in our pain and suffering. God in solidarity with the oppressed. The child of Bethlehem is our hope. Child of Bethlehem is our hope. It was a powerful reminder, this visual of this manger of the baby Jesus under a pile of rubble. A reminder that God is the one who is with us, who suffers with us, who comes to be with us, who rends the heavens to come down to take on humanity so that we won't feel far from him. Even to the point of suffering, suffering and death and his crucifixion. God is with those who suffer. God is with those who are in moments of disaster. And God is with us too in the person of Jesus Christ in our own moments of disaster and destruction and uncertainty. And there is peace there only because Christ is with us and we are not alone. The words of the prophet Isaiah became the words of the prophet John the Baptist. Prepare the way of the Lord. Did you recognize that? Make a way in the desert. And they become our charge today. We say the words of John the Baptist every Advent. Prepare the way of the Lord, for he is coming. Do not give up. Do not grow weary of doing good. Do not lose hope. We may be standing at the threshold of hell, but you know what? The church is called right there at that intersection of heaven and hell. Announcing the good news in the places of darkness. So we face it with boldness and courage and with the spirit of God that is with us. Holding fast to the promises of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount who said, blessed will you be those who are peacemakers. It's as if he knew the work of finding peace in this world of working for peace and justice and mercy would be hard, would be troubling, would be really overwhelming. And just as God spoke to the people who were looking for hope and said, comfort, comfort, oh my people, Jesus spoke to the people who gathered on that hillside and said, blessed are you. Blessed 
are the peacemakers. Friends, this is the promise of peace that we have fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. That as we continue on in this work, as we herald good news and proclaim it, as we carry that light of Christ into every darkness we encounter, I truly believe that that prayer from Philippians that you probably know, that we can rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of peace we're talking about this morning. The peace that doesn't make sense. The peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace that guards our hearts and minds through the disaster. Peace. Peace be with you, my friends, as we seek comfort in the presence of God that's with us. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your word that is true and for the promises that have been made. God, help us as we hear these promises again to hold fast to their truth and and to your word that you are God with us that you are the shepherd who comforts us, that you are the parent who comes to us, that you are the Christ who was born as one of us to take on all this suffering and sin and death and to conquer it finally. And God, even as we wait for that moment, we pray that we may glimpse a little bit of your comfort and your peace this morning that we may be surrounded by your spirit, that we might experience it in the encouraging word of a friend or of the person who prays for us or the person who shows up in our own moment of disaster. Help us to rest in your peace this morning, even just for a moment, that we might find comfort in your promise. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.